Welcome to the Divorce Podcast, a podcast that aims to address divorce, separation and co-parenting here in the UK, countering the often sensationalist way it's portrayed in the media, challenging the status quo and driving for reform. On each episode, I'm joined by experts to discuss divorce, separation and co-parenting from different angles and to give their opinions and to debate them. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor and divorce coach, co-founder of Amicable and host of the Divorce Podcast. During this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Samantha Woodham and Harry Gates, founders of the award-winning The Divorce Surgery. Both are family barristers at four paper buildings, and between them, they have over 30 years experience dealing with separating couples. Samantha, Harry, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Samantha, let's start by hearing what led you and Harry to set up the divorce surgery. Right. Well, kind of going back to where we came from, really. So Harry and I are both family law barristers, as you, as you said, and Harry's been doing it for nearly 20 years. I've been doing it for nearly 15 years. And we'd always be representing either a husband or a wife in the middle of divorce proceedings, either because they couldn't agree about the arrangements for their finances or the arrangements for their children. And about six years ago, I was approached directly by a couple, some friends of friends, who said to me, look, Sam, we'd like to get advice together. We fundamentally just want to know what a court would view as fair in terms of the division of our finances. Now, solicitors in this country can't give separating couples legal advice together because of their conflict rules. And I assumed that barristers would be in the same position. But I was interested. And so I got in touch with the Bar Council and the Bar Standards Board who regulate barristers um, to find out what the position is. And it turns out that barristers can give legal advice to couples together and essentially advise them impartially about how a court would view their case. They obviously then can't represent either the husband or the wife going forward, but they were in a position to give advice to couples together. And I started thinking around the topic more broadly um, and did some reading and looked into what happens in other countries. And it turns out that in lots of other jurisdictions, France, Italy, the Netherlands, the default actually is for separating couples to go to one lawyer together who advises them both impartially about what the outcome should be. And it's only in more complex cases or where they can't agree that they then go to different lawyers. So I decided, having realised this was possible, that I just couldn't resist following through. And so at that stage, got Harry involved, and we were both in the same chambers, we decided to press it up together. And we went through the process of getting regulated, which took quite a bit of time. And that all came through in about May 2018. And we've been going since then. And the whole premise is essentially that we offer a service that enables couples who are suitable, and we kind of screen them first, but couples who are suitable to get legal advice together from one impartial barrister they both choose who's got no investment in an outcome favourable to either of them but just fundamentally tells them if a judge was looking at this today this is how he or she would would view it so that they've got the kind of brackets of outcome the information they need to reach a fair deal as quickly as they can. And what I love about it is that it, it came from somebody actually going through a divorce themselves so it's it's not the same as amicable it's not just something you sit and cook up this great idea about it's actually driven by what people want 
and it's a response to what's required. It seems such a no-brainer, doesn't it, to have couples wanting to hear together what the advice should be rather than go off to separate people and and get very polarized advice from which they then get entrenched in positions and it's it's very hard to come back from. Yeah, that's I mean that's lovely of you to say. I totally agree. And I I think it stems also from Harry and I seeing just over and over again what the adversarial process does to couples and how fundamentally at the end of this, a judge is going to look at it if you end up unluckily in court (laughs) and is just going to determine what's fair for both of you and will have no interest in what's in the best interest of the husband or the best interest of the wife. So if you can start in a way that's joint and impartial, you're more likely to get quickly to the end, which is where you need to be. Whereas if you start in kind of polarised camps, the likely it is you'll just become more polarised and that leads to conflict which is bad for both of you and your children and leads to to hugely increased costs. Absolutely. Harry let me bring you in here. You're offering an alternative approach to the lawyer versus lawyer. Why do you think that approach is needed now? Well I I mean Sam in a way has covered this to some extent but it's really born out of our personal experience acting as Sam was saying for more years than I care to mention either for a husband or a wife in the family court. And it doesn't take many years of doing that to have the shortcomings of the system made memorable to you. I mean, in no particular order, cost that that these proceedings take is enormous. The time it takes to resolve them is extraordinary. And the combination of those two things really leaves many couples in a situation where the relationship that they're able to cling on to at the end of this process, which may be vital if they have children together for many years to come is really the last thing to get considered, and it becomes collateral damage at the end of this process. So cost, time, and acrimony are the three things that we really see scarring couples. And so I think it was really for that reason that I was so attracted when Sam came along with the idea of the divorce surgery to get involved. And I have to say, from a personal perspective, it is so much nicer to be trying to help couples resolve things in a constructive way together than it is necessarily just trying to pick holes in the other side's argument. So from a completely selfish point of view, I really enjoy doing it. And I, I believe it's, it's good for the couples who come to see us too. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's that element of being able to preserve their co-parenting relationship or allow them to leave the relationship with dignity. Those things push better people back out into society, don't they, post-divorce? And that then becomes perpetuating rather than, you know, being having people who are the product of really nasty divorces then going on to, you know, feel very scarred for the rest of their lives. It allows us to have a better experience of a process that's already a very difficult and trying one and doesn't need to be made any worse by the system or by the current adversarial process that we have. I think that's absolutely Yeah, I think that's right. Sorry, Sam. No, I was just going to say, I think that also what's really important when you're looking at coming out of a relationship is the narrative that you can give yourself about it. And if you're in a process that you feel some control over that that you've chosen, even if you didn't choose the end of the relationship, if you can choose how you manage the process and have some control over that, that empowers you and makes you feel better about it. And if you're really well informed about the choices that you're making, again, that makes you feel better about your next stage. And the problem with litigation is that 
most people don't know much about it. You become a passenger, in essence, in, in the litigation, and it feels out of control, both in terms of time frame, in terms of what's happening, and in terms of cost. And that then can create a really unpleasant narrative for you around the ending of, of this relationship, which can then feed into real difficulties with co-parenting, but also just can be quite difficult to live with on the other side. Yes, absolutely. Certainly that rings true from a personal perspective, you know, feeling that somebody else was doing this and you were almost a spectator in your own divorce is horribly disempowering, horribly. And it does make it harder for that onward journey. And I would only add to that that uh, it seems to me that it's the common view of people who practice in in family law as barristers or solicitors that the current system doesn't work very well. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, it becomes quite hard, I think, to work day in, day out in that environment when you're questioning if what you're doing is actually helping. And I should say right away, there are lots of cases that absolutely do need judges, do need an adversarial system. But they are very much in the minority in my experience. And actually, one of the things that's been really interesting is the way in which couples are happy, maybe not quite the right word, content enough to treat divorce as a shared problem rather than someone's fault. And it's, it's been really encouraging, actually, to, uh, to see how receptive couples are to the idea of getting advice from one lawyer together. Uh, I think there were lots of professionals, lots of lawyers who wondered whether clients would immediately see the value in that. But it, 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 it turns out that we've had to do very little explaining of what the concepts are and the benefits that it entails, because it seems to strike a chord with people, which has been really gratifying to see. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the layperson approach to this is, people expect that that's what you can do we have a lot of people who ring us and uh, and assume that that is what you do that they don't realize that lawyers can't give joint advice or they've already been to a lawyer and they've found us because they want joint advice or guidance and that's kind of I think that's where people expect the system to be and I think it's a shock when you are a layperson to realize that actually we have this adversarial oppositional model and it, it doesn't strike a chord because ultimately I think people do, you're right, see this as a, a joint problem and a family matter. And it doesn't seem like the approach to solving a family problem is to take sides. I mean, Harry, did you get much opposition from your colleagues? I, I guess I hear what you say about, you know, it, you were pushing at an open door in terms of people divorcing. But what about colleagues? Was there much backlash or much opposition from them? The honest truth is that there was hardly any. I will confess to some anxiety when we set this up as to what our barrister colleagues would say, and in particular, what judges would think of it. Because after centuries of adversarial practice, this is in a way quite heretical. But actually, as with clients, people were incredibly quick to see the benefits of it. We did spend quite a long time, Sam and I, wandering around, slightly fearing that someone was going to tap us on the shoulder and say, oh, by the way, you actually can't do this because the code of conduct says at paragraph 246 that this is completely forbidden. <laughs> but I'm glad to say that that never happened. And over time, the fear of that has gently receded. So I'm confident now that we're not about to be disbarred. So that has been great. And actually, I think it's quite a hard concept to argue against. So I'm sure that's helped. I mean, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do at the divorce surgery, as so many other people, who provide services to a couple together are trying to do is just to provide a tool 
to help them get over this very difficult stage, uh, although it's a routine stage, in life. And who can argue against the provision of something that helps? And I think actually people have tended not to do not to do so. So it hasn't been badly received at all. On the contrary, I think people have really warmed up to it. And I'm pleased to say that it's now, I don't want to sound conceited, but it's sort of part of the furniture now in a way that we never dreamed it would be when we started. It's referenced in, in certain court documents as something that judges should be considering whenever clients go to court. So I think if people were going to object to it and were going to be upset about it, they probably would have done so before now. So Samantha, Harry mentioned just then that there were, you know, a, an increasing number of providers where a couple's service, you know, was the sort of the, the, the premise. Why is it still not the norm? What stops people from engaging in a couple's service, do you think? Oh, right. I mean, this is the question, isn't it, Kate? I, I mean, it seems so obvious to, to me, and I think to all of us involved in this kind of field, that a default joint approach is, is the way to go. I think for a lot of separating couples, um, it's a lack of awareness. So it, it's not widely known that you don't have to go to separate solicitors, that there are lots of different options. And options is what's key because the right the right solution isn't going to be for every couple. So really what we just want all couples to know is what all their options are on divorce for navigating through it. But lots, I, I think, don't know they can approach it as a couple. I think we've still got a real societal stigma around divorce that we need to break. I think that it's it's somehow viewed as a failure. You know, you say the word divorce, you've got loads of negative connotations that come to mind. But fundamentally, it's a life change that 42% of married people go through. You know, we, we just need to get over that culture of blame and fault, because it's not helpful to anyone. And most couples don't want it. And I think also that, that maybe the the media portrayal, you know, the kind of LA law, the splits on the BBC, you know, this idea that you need some kind of Rottweiler lawyer on each side and that and that the winner at the end um, promulgates this, this view when the reality, as we all know, is it's not a win-lose scenario. It, it's about finding a compromise that's fair for both adults and their children if they have them. And I think that when couples engage in their options and know what their options are, it becomes quite clear to them early on what the right course is. But I think that the major project we have to overcome is, is awareness and making sure that all separating couples are aware of all of their options so they can make an informed choice. So whose responsibility is it then in, in the system that we have to promote that awareness or where is that awareness or what mechanism is the awareness delivered through? Yeah, I mean, it's from a variety of sources, isn't it? I mean, it's obviously as professionals, we're all trying to do that. Uh, policymakers need to do it. Uh, you know, it needs to be clearly available on all of the kind of information, neutral information that couples get that they can access online. I think there's a media piece there that, again, is about raising awareness and, and informing the public. But it is a big education piece. And that's one of the things I know in a, in a recent review that Mr. Justice Cobb did on, on private law children and trying to change the approach to resolving conflicts when it comes to children, because court proceedings can be so damaging for children. But that talked about this big education piece that's needed um, so that members of the public know what their options are. Yeah, it's it's a hard one, isn't it? Because where do people go as the first point of call? A lot of times they go to 
a solicitor who can only then work for one of them. And ultimately, however that information is delivered about the options, the solicitor as the delivery mechanism has an interest in how that potential client hears and receives the, the information. So I'm just wondering if there's some other way of delivering those options meetings almost. Mm-mm, that that comes early. I mean, early intervention, as we all know, is completely key because the sooner that you're in a position to start thinking about your options, the, the better. You know, there's nothing worse than being in in a position where you're feeling very emotionally frail, but you're also panicking about money and you don't know what your future is going to hold. And, and the sooner that you know what is financially viable and how your needs are going to be met, the sooner that you can then have that kind of sense of calm <laughs> to, to make the right choices. So, you know, it's, it's really vital that, that early advice and early intervention, and as you say, early provision of options and information is made available, ideally as neutrally as possible, so that the couple can choose the route that's right for them. Yeah. And I would only add to that, if I may, that I think all of us professionals have got to be assiduous to make sure that our clients know all of the options available to them rather than sitting in our respective silos. And actually, solicitors are very good, for example, at directing clients to mediation in appropriate cases. And they've been very good at directing customers to divorce surgery from time to time. So I, I thank them for that. And certainly when customers come to us and actually we're not the right option for them in the circumstances that they have, then it will certainly we regard it as our duty to send them to the people that can properly help them. So I think the community as a whole, the family law community, or not just the legal community, has a duty to make sure that, that everybody is informed as to all the options that might be suitable for them. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. Harry, I want to move on a little bit, if we may, to no-fault divorce. So I'm sure we all had the champagne out celebrating Royal Ascent a few weeks ago. And that means that couples will be able to separate without blaming each other, of course. But it also means that couples will be able to divorce as a couple (laughs) rather than having to do it individually. How important do you think that is for people? Well, isn't it wonderful news? And uh, I think the first thing to say is that there is an enormous symbolic benefit to the divorcing population in being told that they can sort this problem out together. So I really do pay tribute to all of those who campaigned so tirelessly for 30 years. I, I think to answer your question, there are really, there's sort of slightly dry technical answer and also a, a much more interesting emotional one. But in terms of the, the first one, I'll be brief. Couples will now be able, as you say, to present a joint uh, application for divorce or a joint petition in old money, although it will no longer be called that, where they simply notify the world at large that the marriage has irretrievably broken down. So in other words, there's no requirement for a court to prove that the marriage has ended. And therefore, there's no possibility of either party defending a divorce. Um, there have been several high profile cases in recent years where people have tried to do that, and one particular one called Owens and Owens. That, that is really terrific because it means that people who find themselves in a very difficult position of divorcing no longer have to cast around for the um, appropriate tools to blame the other. So that's fantastic. And uh, uh, there are a whole raft of other really welcome changes as well such as modernising the language of divorce, so outgo decree nice, outgo decree absolute, 
and income conditional orders and final orders. So the, the second point, aside from the dry technical benefits, is that couples are now really empowered to move forward with their divorce in a way that is psychologically neutral. So for couples no longer having to assert blame who are proceeding on the basis that they simply want to notify the court that their marriage has, for whatever reason, unavoidably come to an end, it is the best possible platform for them to begin addressing the difficult, undoubtedly, issues that come with the ending of any relationship. So having to, uh, this was one of the principal points that fed the campaign by Resolution and many others for so long, having to resolve issues to do with your children and your finances against a background of blame was just profoundly unhelpful. So I think it really is an enormous benefit to people to be able to take that element of blame out of the equation. You're right. And I think it allows people, doesn't it, to bring their best selves to what are some really fundamental negotiations and around what's the best interest of their children, how their finance should be split. And I think if you can do that and bring your better self to that negotiation, you're more likely to get an agreement. You're more likely to move through. You're more likely to be able to go on and co-parent your children. I think that element of self-determination, although it it's not a big thing that the media have made kind of much point about. I think that fundamentally changes the way that divorce feels and the way that people experience it. I think it also, Kate, frames a really nice narrative to start a process with about it, it, it's a joint process. And that then feeds into what you say to your friends and family about it, what you even say to your children about it, what you say to the wider community about it. But if you can frame it in a way that this is a joint process we're going to navigate and at times it's going to be challenging, but we're starting it together, that is so much better than having to receive a petition and go through grounds of blame, whether it's you making them or you receiving them, which just starts the whole thing off on a really contaminated basis, in my view, and, and actually is completely irrelevant, as we all know, to the outcome on either finances or the children. Yeah, well, that's the silly thing about it, isn't it? It doesn't make any difference. And yet you have to torture each other with these bullet points of behaviour or accusing it of adultery or whatever it is. And it actually makes no difference whatsoever. So it is so it's such a relief to have that removed and to remove the demonization and the focusing on the past rather than what actually people really need to focus on, which is the future, repairing, you know, preparing a co-parenting relationship, making that transition from parent to co-parent, making the transition from a couple to, you know, two separate households. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Samantha, just thinking about, you know, you've obviously got huge amounts of experience. You've talked to so many people who have sort of turned up at the door wanting to do things as a couple. When you get people at the very early stages, what sort of advice do you give them? How can people prepare themselves or what sort of things do they need to do in order to successfully navigate a couple's divorce? I think this is really important, Kate, actually, because there's a, a few things that I always say whether couples are coming for introductory sessions or actually just you know if I'm asked to give some tips <laughs> um, outside any process um, I think the first thing I say which always shocks people actually 
is don't rush to lawyers. You know, that there are um, very few, luckily, cases where you'll be in an emergency situation where you need independent legal advice as your first port of call. And, you know, if your safety is at risk or if there is a jurisdictional issue or if you feel someone is about to squirrel away loads of assets, then obviously you need urgent legal advice. But, but that is in the far minority of cases. For most people, actually, there are a number of things that you should be doing before you start getting legal advice. You know, there is a huge emotional piece of work here in terms of whether it was your choice or not your choice and the relationship, but coming to terms with that, thinking about the, the kind of life you want on the other side, trying to get your head around that. And, and that is really work for you know a relationship counsellor or a divorce coach or someone who can support you with all that emotional stuff. There's then another piece of work that's really useful to do around finances, you know, getting some financial advice at, at, at its very basics, just making sure you understand what the financial picture is, you know, what you have, what each of your incomes is, what your assets are. All of these things are, are part of a parcel of kind of empowering you to be ready so that when you sit down and start getting legal advice, you're in the room. You're, you're listening, you're able to listen, you're not still feeling completely overwhelmed by the emotional side, or you're not so uncertain about the financial picture that, that you can't kind of envisage how you're going to get through it. And, you know, so often I get, you know, friends of friends phone me up and they'll have some relative who's just found out, you know, after 30 years of marriage that her husband's leaving her. And, and the first thing they're asking is, can I have a phone number for a solicitor? And you think, my goodness, there is so much that needs to happen first before starting on what we all know is is a blunt legal process and it is just a legal process and you need to be in that frame of mind when you're starting to get legal advice whether you get it together or from solicitors however you navigate the divorce process you want to be in a frame of mind where you're ready to start engaging with those decisions for the future rather than be dealing with your emotions so that's the first thing I always say and the second thing is that when the time comes to start thinking, OK, we're in the zone now. We, we want to know what we should do, in particular, when it comes to dividing up our finances, because often for some people that the child arrangements are more instinctive. But for many, the finances isn't obvious. It really isn't. And, and they don't instinctively know what's fair. And quite often, each will have quite a different perception of what they think is fair. Um, but try to look at it as a judge would, you know, try to step back and think, OK, what would an impartial judge think about our situation? And that's obviously where we try to help. But even if you're going to separate lawyers, wherever you're going, just say, look, actually, don't tell me what's the best outcome for me. Tell me what a judge would think looking at both of our situations. Because if you start engaging in the question from that perspective, you're going to get to the right answer. And that's looking at, OK, how not only how can my needs be met and the children's needs be met when they're with me, but how can my other half's needs be met and the children's needs met when they're with him or her? You know, and the more that you start looking at that, actually, the more the financial picture and the answers start to show themselves. And I guess the third thing I'd say is be kind and be kind to yourself because this is a tough period and it can be hard. So don't be harsh on yourself. Don't judge yourself too harshly. But also try to be kind to your other half as much as you can. If you can work together and it's harder, it's harder to work together than just to go into separate camps and fight. But actually, if you put that effort in, 
at the earliest stage, you will reap the rewards. Because I, I can promise you, having seen so many court cases over the years, it is genuinely the last place you want to be. And the more you can engage in a kind of constructive discussion and keep those lines of communication open, even if it's stilted, even if it's awkward, the more likely you'll get to the other side in a financially fair position, able to agree on some arrangements that work for your children and not having destroyed yourself, both financially and emotionally, in an adversarial process. That's definitely my word of the decade kind. I think that's a lovely, lovely note to end on. Samantha, thank you. Harry, where can people find out more about the divorce surgery? Well, there's a website with lots of information on it, which is just the divorcesurgery.co.uk. And there are lots of blogs on there which tell you about how our process works. And if people have questions that they'd rather have answered on the telephone, the number's there. And Claire is our brilliant front of house who knows everything. So do give her a call if anyone has any questions. Brilliant. Thank you both so much for joining me. Of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kate underscore daily. And you can find out more about the podcast and indeed subscribe at www.thedivorcepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Harry and Samantha. Oh, thank you for having us, Kate.